Look, I have to warn you, in this episode, we're going to be exploring a climate problem that is also kind of gross. Let's just say it's not something that you talk about around the water cooler at work. All of this stuff that you're putting down the pipe, down your toilet, it goes somewhere. And unless you actively know how much you're paying for that to be cleaned, unless you're sure that it is being cleaned, you should probably go and start doing some digging. Patrick Kiley is an environmental microbiologist. He founded a company called Sentry. He's also an expert on wastewater treatment, how it gets clean and how much energy that takes. At the base level, it's almost 3% of global electrical demand is going to wastewater treatment. So that's a massive number in itself. And it's certainly a silly number when you think, oh, we can reduce that by 30%. Why haven't we done that yesterday? Turns out it's not that easy. Patrick is working to find a solution that could help lower how much energy is used. And he's doing it in a kind of unusual way. So my background is understanding bacteria and how they grow in different environments. When you think of bacteria, you might think of things you want to avoid, like disease or infection. But they also play a vital role in breaking down waste. And paying closer attention to this invisible world might just help us deal with our wastewater problem. I'm Manjula Salvaraja, and this is Solve4x, Innovations to Change the World, a series where we explore the latest ideas in tech and science. Most of the impacts we feel from climate change are in one way or another related to water, everything from flooding to droughts. And yet when you look at the money put towards climate finance, a fraction of that, just 3%, is directed toward water. That's a massive disconnect. And it shows how unprepared we are to deal with the strain climate change is putting on our water system. In this episode, we're going to be doing some digging to explore just how much energy it takes to clean our water. I reached out to Patrick Kiley in his office in Gatineau to learn why treating wastewater is the next big climate problem. A wastewater treatment plant is one of the most complicated biological processes that you could imagine. You have to understand microbiology. You have to understand engineering, civil engineering, pumps, moving water, hydraulics. Like there's just so much science that is around and culminates around wastewater process. And most of what happens to wastewater, nobody knows about. I mean, uh, my producer Ellie and I realized that we actually don't know where our wastewater goes. Like when, when we flush our toilet, we don't know where it goes. What happens? when we flush our toilets. Yeah, there's what happens today and the legacy maybe of 200 years of infrastructure development, and then there's where it could go in the future, but at least today, so if you are sitting in Toronto, wastewater is going down a pipe into one location where it is treated. And basically what it contains is a series of massively large concrete basins, like the largest swimming pools you could possibly imagine, full of wastewater. And without anyone even realizing it, there's someone at the other end with equipment that is trying to control that equipment, and he's trying to bubble oxygen and air into wastewater tanks to match how much dirty water you've put down the drain. Most treatment plants clean water by adding oxygen. That gives the bacteria what it needs to digest waste. But it's actually a really energy-intensive process, and that translates to a big carbon footprint. 
yeah, you basically match or you align the amount of oxygen that you pump into the wastewater to how strong or how contaminated that wastewater stream is. And finding that balance is, is difficult, kind of impossible today without better data and better sensors. But that's like the first step. It's like just taking that really heavy, nasty, what we call carbon, but other people might call it poo. You said it. Go on. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. There's lots of words we can get into. But now what we're finding out, which is even crazier again, there's all of these other things that we're putting into our bodies that a lot of the time bacteria have never mm, been yeah. exposed to these. Exposed to them or even yet yeah, designed to get rid of them. So, and plants may not be designed to, to get rid of them either. No, there's a lot of these you know, endocrine disrupting compounds, contaminants of emergent concern. They've been designed specifically a lot of the time so that biomass doesn't break them down. So the job of an operator has become incrementally more and more complex the more and more we find out about what's in our wastewater and how it impacts our environment. Because if you start flooding your ecosystem, your environment with PFAS, which is the new one that people are beginning to find out, um, or painkillers, none of this stuff goes anywhere. It all goes into our ecosystem. And gets concentrated each time you go around the loop, right? Yeah, just builds up yeah. in these environments, gets more concentrated, yeah. It's it's interesting. In in preparing for this chat, I mean, we came across some pretty dire statistics. I'm going to share one with you, and I'd like to ha have your help in, in making sense of it. So 80% of wastewater in the world flows back into the ecosystem without being treated or, or reused. I, f I found that a, a shocking stat. What do you make of that? I think you answered it almost for yourself at the beginning when, when we asked, well, where does your wastewater go? And nobody knows. So, so much about this is awareness. So if 80% of the world are not treating their wastewater, it's a function of two things. Typically, A, they don't have the resources or the capital to do that or the infrastructure. And B, partially is because they don't know. They don't know the impact that these waste streams are having. And this has been the case forever. Like, you know, even the city of Halifax, you don't have to go too far to find locations where people still think it's fine to have a big pipe that is just going into a large body of water and the, the concept of dilution is enough for people to be happy. But it's not going far and it's certainly having environmental impact. Turns out Halifax didn't have a plan to treat their water until 2008. The city of Victoria, they didn't get theirs until just a few years ago. And even when you do have infrastructure, it can fail. Like in a storm, wastewater can go untreated and then end up in the environment. So our infrastructure is strained and climate change is making it even more complicated. Can you give me a sense of how much energy it takes to treat wastewater? A typical town or a typical city in Canada, their energy bill, their total energy bill for the community, their municipal energy bill, about 25% of that goes to the wastewater treatment plant. That's that's so, high. It's a massive number. That's a massive and number. When you, when, yeah, yeah. When you think about all the lights, everything that the town is doing, and then one quarter of everything they're doing is just going to the wastewater treatment plant. Canadians have the second highest water consumption in the world, and we generate close to 12.7 trillion liters of wastewater a day. That's an awful lot of dirty water. But to reduce the amount of energy you use without compromising safety, you need to have an idea of what's actually in the water. And that's the problem that Patrick is trying to crack. 
It's an idea that came to him during his postdoc at Penn State. Take us back to the time that you were studying environmental microbiology. How did it lead to what you're doing now? Okay, well, there's a long version to that story, and there's a shorter version. Um, <laughs> we want the fun version, if there is a fun version. The fun version. version. Yeah, so I was doing a PhD in Ireland. I was researching how bacteria actually grow in people, immunocompromised people. This bacteria can get into their lungs. And after my, my PhD, I was reading a paper, and it showed that the bacteria I was working with, how that could be used to extract electrical energy from wastewater. And I was like, what are you on about? This is bananas. I've never heard of anything like this before. So there was a professor in Penn State University in the US. He had just published this paper. So I sent him an email and I said, look, I'd love to do a postdoc in your lab. So yeah, I packed my bags, moved to the US. And we had a lab of maybe 15, 20 researchers from all over the world. And one day someone just opened a window and all of the reactors that we had running in the lab, the activity from these reactors or the signals from me all just dropped really fast. Mm. And that was that kind of lightning moment for myself where it was like, wow, we've, we have an ability to monitor how all of these wastewater treatment systems are working just by understanding this level of biological activity. That small change in temperature in the lab altered the behavior of the bacteria. So Patrick realized that by paying attention to what the bacteria were doing or not doing, he could help the treatment plant. And it was that kind of moment where something random happens and the penny drops and you just realize, oh, wow, all of these wastewater treatment systems, we can actually see how they're performing with, with these types of surfaces and these types of special bacteria that we were cultivating in the laboratory. So in a sense, what we, what we figured out was, oh, we can actually see what's happening now. Because up until then, nobody really knew how dirty the wastewater was. It's very much, it was very much a black box type of environment. And that's what the wastewater treatment industry has always been. And all of a sudden we had this new data, this new sensor information coming directly from the bacteria. So, so in effect, what the bacteria is doing is, is talking to you, like you're communicating with bacteria. In effect, what we've developed is a Fitbit or a heart rate monitor for the bacteria. And when they have lots of food, they tell us and they demonstrate that with lots of activity. So so you have this data that, I mean, it seems like treatment plants know um, that what they have going out of their process is good water, but what they don't have is the data on what's coming in. And what you're doing is your sensors are providing data at that point, at the front end. Yes. I mean, your first statement there, I would push back on it. And I would just say, firstly, the regulations on water quality in Canada are nowhere near strong enough. And we need much better regulations on monitoring the quality of wastewater, treated wastewater that's actually going to our, our, our watersheds. Because a lot of the time, a lot of wastewater treatment plants, a lot of treatment facilities, their regulation and the regulations only require them to sample that wastewater once a month sometimes, once a week sometimes, but very infrequently. So there is certainly a lack. And there's also, by the way, bananas rules where you can bypass. So if it rains heavily in Canada, for example, an operator can say, or the plant can say, ah, you know what, let's just bypass all of this wastewater and put it directly into the... That we're going to count in, on dilution. Is that at that... Yeah, or, or just because I know it's raining and I'm not going to be able to manage this flow of wastewater to my plant. I have a special rule that allows me just to send it directly into the, into the lake or the river. Or I had no idea. 
yeah, the, the, the regulations are very lax in Canada. So, so let's talk about this data that you're providing. What is the power that that kind of data gives uh, the treatment plants? Like what changes can they make? Can they or municipalities make because they now have this data? The wastewater entering a wastewater treatment plant, the quality of that wastewater, the strength of the wastewater, it's always changing. And it's changing because we're human and we do things in patterns i.e. we all go to the toilet basically at the same time. And that's reflected in the wastewater quality that enters a wastewater treatment plant. And we've been doing this for like four years now, just doing that monitoring aspect. And the insights that you begin to pull out of it are so bananas and so interesting. Like even around COVID, when people stopped moving, like we saw shifts in the patterns. Uh, When it rains heavily, we see shifts in the patterns. But what we can do with that information now because we have a real-time measure of how concentrated the wastewater is going to the treatment plant, we can send a signal to the operator that says, okay, you've been adding oxygen all the time to meet the peak Mm. wastewater concentration coming into your plant. And that's the way you've set it up because you haven't had good data to know what the variation is or the variability is of that wastewater. So you've just been turning on all of your energy to that peak all day long. And that's the right thing to do, because without good data, you can say, well, I'm going to make sure it's treated at the end. But the challenge is, it's now 25% of your community's electricity bill. And what we do is we can now provide that variable signal that shows the operator very clearly the pattern of when the high-strength wastewater is coming in, when it's a lot more dilute. We can provide them that information in real time and deliver that oxygen much more energy efficiently. In effect, it's like having the heating system going in your house at 21 degrees Celsius all day long, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. But maybe you're only in the house for two hours a day. Is there a place, um, any country that you can point to that that is ahead on this issue? Wow. It doesn't sound like Canada is from what I can, from all the hints that you've dropped. Canada is not horrific, but Canadians in general need to know that they're not spending enough on water infrastructure. Who's ahead then? Like if Canada, if it's not Canada, who's ahead? The best country in the planet by a long way is Singapore. What is it that they're doing? When you go to Singapore, on the news, they're talking about the water industry. Just the whole awareness of how valuable water is to people is in front of people on a daily basis. So people understand water better and they understand how valuable it is. Mm. Um, also, Singapore has a challenge because they, they need water. It's like in Canada, we think, oh, water is everywhere. We all have water, but that isn't the case for most people on the planet. So when you need it, you value it more. In fact, what they call it, it's water reuse facilities. They don't use the word wastewater treatment plant. It, they're called water reuse facilities. And that's their goal is to make sure that it is a closed circle. So what they're doing is, you know, there's that education, there's the awareness, there's even sort of the way that they've branded it. Um, what about when it comes to technology? Once you put a value on something like that, and once you create a marketplace, and then you go looking for solutions that allow you to do those things. Could you see wastewater being seen as a, as a resource instead of a problem? That's the holy grail. You know what? If I'm, if I'm being optimistic, I would say yes. So what would that look like? And then if I was being... Oh, no. T- well, t- wait a second. Wait a yeah. second. Wait a second. Because it depends what side of the bed I wake up in the morning and I, and I realize, okay, well, yes, that's the way to do it. And I should only be rosy and cheery. But the problem we're having right now, because if wastewater just has 
let's say human waste, normal waste, normal things that we should be putting into our body. If it just has carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, that is literally gold. Like that in its own, the nitrogen and phosphorus are best fertilizer. The carbon can be used in anaerobic digestion to generate renewable biogas. The problem is what we're now putting into our bodies and what we're putting into our wastewater doesn't just contain those things. And it contains these other chemicals that are not being regulated. Medication, they're just being, people are taking them. People are just dumping stuff down the drain. You have manufacturers who are generating new chemicals all the time. They're not being properly regulated on what they put on their side. And that's reaching, reaching the wastewater treatment plant. So the wastewater that we're actually collecting today is not as good as it was or could be. And then it becomes something that is toxic. And then it's, well, how do you actually deal with something that's considered a toxic hazardous waste trait? You can't use it as a fertilizer. And there's, because a lot of people would have said, okay, the wastewater treatment plant of the future, we're going to have anaerobic digestion, biogas, perfect. And we can still do that. And that's still definitely a massive low hanging fruit. But then what do you do with the waste from your digester? You have all of this accumulated, what we call biosolids. So do you really want to give that to the farmer for him to land apply that onto your, your vegetables? Probably not. Hmm. So the quality of what we put into our bodies is impacting the quality of what we can extract from these wastewater assets. And that's the challenge. Hmm. So, you know, the sense that I have through this conversation is that our existing infrastructure is inefficient. It has a large carbon footprint, but but this infrastructure is already in place. Uh -huh. It's pricey. I mean, these are all barriers to change. What do you make of these barriers to change? Incentive drives everything. There's no need to be building more tanks. There's no need to be putting any, any, any more piping. That exists. The easy, the low-hanging fruit today. So I'll give you a few numbers. Um, about 70 to 75% of the energy demand at a wastewater treatment plant is just on the aeration, just on those blowers that are blowing air and oxygen into wastewater. That's 70%. And... You could almost half that. You can certainly reduce it by 30% by just putting better data at the front and optimizing how you add and when you add the oxygen. So, you know, if you could cut off a quarter of the, uh, of the electrical demand from your wastewater utility um, just by doing a simple control, like putting in a thermostat, that's a massive step. Um, so there are solutions. The question is, who's incentivized, and how do we actually push those projects forward? Mm. And some of it's communication, um, but you know the operator of a typical wastewater treatment plant isn't incentivized by saving energy. His salary doesn't increase if he can reduce 5% yeah. off his energy bill. So you need to then communicate this value to other stakeholders within the community. Uh, and there needs to be pressure from other people within the community. Perhaps that's local community groups, watershed groups. Like other people need to be vocal about, no, 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 we can we can do better here and help these operators. Because the operator always seems to be the one who's at the end of the day, you know, oh my God, we're discharging out of compliance. And the operator's like, what's your, look at my infrastructure, look <laughs> what I'm having to deal with. Yes. So we need more money in the industry, more support for the operators and more people who are just eager to, yeah, save energy and, and decarbonize. It strikes me that part of the problem with solving this is that this is something we don't like to talk about. 
I wondered whether we have the right words or tools. There are certain topics that I always think, like even this conversation, I'll, I'll tell you, I kept thinking, what, what, what are the words I should use? I, I went to word hippo and I looked up poop and I thought, well, let me see if I can find other words for it. There aren't. And then I stopped and I said, but why am I looking for other words? Because I wanted to make it the conversation palatable for our listeners. But why do I need to do that? Like, why this no. weirdness around the word? So what do in you- In fact, the more, the more open we are, the better it is. Like understanding, I'll do it. When you take a shit, it goes somewhere. And unless you're paying for that to be cleaned, it's going into your drinking water supply. Like that's how important this is. Thank you, Patrick, for <laughs> giving us the rosy and not so rosy view on that. I'm going to just take a break now. And uh, I know Ellie's probably jotted down a whole bunch of things that she wants to throw in. I'm just going to mute my mic so she can. Uh... We wanted to try one thing. Maybe we could do a small lightning round with some silly questions and also more intelligent questions just to see what your fast take on them would be. Love it. Okay. Are you ready? This is you've got to be. Okay. You're assuming that I'm going to answer in a fast manner, which is, but anyway. What do environmental microbiologists know that might surprise the general public? Oh, we know how clean or dirty the water is in your environment. And we know what's causing the problems. And as an industry, we need to get better at communicating what's causing those problems. What's the worst thing you can put in the toilet or down the drain? Medication. How would you grade Canada's wastewater treatment? The infrastructure, yeah. The infrastructure, like the 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 the, the I like a five out of ten. Oh my goodness! Okay, feeling great. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, any jokes about your job that you've heard a thousand times? Uh, poo doctor. Um, I'm not a real scientist. Uh, poo doctor again. <laughs> yes, my kids like that. My wife loves to tell me that I'm a poo doctor. <laughs> okay. I love that. We'll have to send you a shirt with that on at some point. Soft4x is brought to you by Mars. This episode was produced by Ellen Payne-Smith. Lara Torvey and Heather O'Brien are the associate producers. David Patterson is the senior producer. Max Swain composed the theme song and all the music in this episode. Gab Harpel is our mix engineer. Catherine Hayward is the executive producer. I'm your host, Manjula Salvaraja. Watch your feed for new episodes coming soon. Mars helps entrepreneurs looking to scale solutions in climate tech, health, and software. We offer targeted support through our capital and growth acceleration programs. For more information, visit marsdd.com. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line to share your ideas, questions, and feedback. Email us at media at marsdd.com.